Well, this morning, brothers and sisters, we are continuing our series on the Ten Commandments. And uh, this morning, I uh, have some bad news for you. Uh, This is a sin that all of us are guilty of. Every single one of us has committed this sin. I know some of you might have thought yet last week when we were talking about honoring your parents that you you might have done relatively well with that. But you were guilty of that too. But today we're talking about murder. We are talking about murder and you and I, I'm afraid, are guilty of it. So, In order to find out about the cheery news of how it is that we are guilty of murder, let us look first to the scriptures and then we will look at the Heidelberg Catechism. We are looking at, again, very short and sweet. The entirety of our Bible passage this morning is one teeny tiny verse and it says, You shall not murder. The word of the Lord. Amen. Amen. All right. Now, in order to understand this a little bit better, the Heidelberg Catechism does a wonderful job in three different questions and answers to uh, help expand upon that. Because just like we were singing in the song, or uh, like, sorry, like we are hearing about in Hebrews chapter 10 when Cole was reading this, the the law, that, that little phrase, you shall not murder, is a shadow of what is really meant, what is really at the heart of it. And so the Heidelberg Catechism does a great job of, of expanding and expounding upon what it means. So uh, I'm going to read the question, and if we can all read the answers, that is good. We're going to go through 105, 106, and 107. What is God's will for you in the sixth commandment? I am not to belittle, insult, hate, or kill my neighbor, not by my thoughts, my words, my look or gesture, and certainly not by actual deeds. And I am not to be party to this in others. Rather, I am to put away all desire for revenge. I am not to harm or recklessly endanger myself either. Prevention of murder is also why government is armed with the sword. Does this commandment refer only to killing? By forbidding murder, God teaches us that he hates the root of murder, envy, hatred, anger, vindictiveness. In God's sight, all such are murder. Is it enough, then, that we do not kill our neighbor in any such way? By, oh sorry, I missed the no. (laughs) No, by condemning envy, hatred, and anger, God tells us to love our neighbors as ourselves, to be patient, peace-loving, gentle, merciful, and friendly to them, to protect them from harm as much as we can, and to do good even to our enemies. Wow. Okay. 
So the Heidelberg Catechism unpacks that just a little bit for us, doesn't it? It unpacks it from uh, you shall not murder to basically anything that you do that is not loving, even to your enemies, it fits in this category. Now, remember last week when we talked about honoring your parents, we talked about how that command is the first in the second table of the elements, the second tablet of the uh, commandments. The second tablet of the commandments is, is not actually necessarily literally one tablet of stone and then another tablet of stone, although it may have been. But rather, the second tablet of stones uh, of, of the Ten Commandments helps us to focus on our relationship with other people. The first tablet of the law, it, it helps us to focus on our relationship with God, right? That you have to honor God and not make any idols and that you have to make sure that you honor the Sabbath day because the Lord made it holy and so on. <clears throat> this tablet, it talks about our relationships with people. And, and why did we talk about, we talked about why honoring your parents was such a big deal. Why was that? Anybody? Honoring your parents was such a big deal, partly because our parents, by the grace of God, gave us life. Just as God Himself gave us life, so too our parents give us life by God's grace. And, and not only that, but our parental-child relationship, that relationship is the first human relationship that any of us ever has. It is the very first relationship that we have. Even before we are born, we have a relationship with our parents. And so God shows us and shares with us how critical it is to honor parents who have given us life by God's grace. We talked about how, uh, how that looks. We talked about how, um, you know, in the biblical sense, often this was referring maybe mostly to the reality of adult children caring for their parents as they age. But, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you do everything that your parents tell you to. And it doesn't mean that you allow your parents, if you're in an abusive relationship, to continue on with their abusiveness. No, honoring your parents is much deeper than that. Much deeper than that. It is, yes, respecting them. It is, yes, taking care of them in their old age. And yes, heeding the wisdom that they have been given over the years. And, and yes, Yes, it means not shaming them. But it also means that you do not allow your parents sometimes <laughs> to do things that are harmful to themselves. Remember, we talked about that. If, if you are in a bad relationship, whether it's with your, your parents or whether it's with your spouse or whatever... And I know this is weird, but it's true. The most loving thing you can do for an abusive spouse, an abusive parent, 
a bully, a, a mean, is whatever, is to not allow them to sin by doing the bad things to you. If I allow you to abuse me, then I allow you to shame yourself as well. Anyways, that's what we talked about last week. This week we are talking about how we are not to murder, but more than that, rather how we are to love all of our fellow human beings. And why is this so important? Why does this matter? Well, well, just as our parents, they especially image God in the giving of life to us, just as God gave life to Adam and Eve, so too our parents give life to us by God's grace in a miniature sort of way, but also all human beings are images of God. All human beings are images of God. You, as I have said before, because of God, because of God who made you and who He made you to be, you are glorious and worthy of respect and love. Not because of the things that you have done, but rather simply because you are created in God's image. It's interesting. If you look at the Ten Commandments and if you look at the Old Testament law, there is something very fascinating that you quickly discover when you dig into the Hebrew law. There, there, was, <clears throat> there was no legal distinction made between willful murder or accident or justifiable homicide. No legal distinction made whatsoever. In fact, here's an interesting thing. How many of you have animals involved in your life that you take care of on any level? Okay, good. All right. According to the Bible, if your animal is known to be vicious and your animal kills someone, then guess who's guilty of murder? You are. You're guilty of murder. And guess what happens? What is the punishment for murder in the biblical text? Capital punishment. So your little puppy dog, who's a bit too mean and bites the face off of your neighbor, is your responsibility. And you, by law, are going to be put to death. <laughs> it's interesting, fascinating. Listen to what Exodus chapter 21 verse 29 says. If, however, the bull has had the habit of goring and the owner has been warned but has not kept it penned up and it kills a man or woman, the bull is to be stoned and its owner is also to be put to death. So all of you who take care of cows... Pay attention. Right? 
Not only that, but this is true for accidental death. It's true for uh, justifiable homicide as well. But of course, the Bible goes further than that. Jesus tells us that if we are, if we are even angry with our neighbor, we are at risk. And if we call our neighbor a fool, we are in danger of the fires of hell. So, anybody feeling good about keeping the commandment to not murder anybody right at this point? Well, let's add to that. The Bible makes it very clear why Jesus died for us and at whose hands He died as well. It wasn't just some Roman officials. It wasn't just some Jewish leaders. Jesus died because of us. And in a spiritual sense, we understand that it was us. It was our sin. It was our responsibility. We killed Jesus. The one person in all of creation who has ever, other than God the Father, and they are one anyways, the one person who has always been completely and totally for us. We killed Him. So what do we do with all this? What do we do with all this? Well, first of all, we need to take a moment and recognize our guilt. We are guilty of breaking this commandment in so many ways. <clears throat> I saw a post on Facebook the other day where, where somebody was, was using the nationality of, of somebody else as an insult, right? These people from this place... And they would say these, well, I'll use Canadians, these Canadians, right? Like it was an insult, like it was terrible, right? What, what, it, what it, the Heidelberg Catechism says that's murder, right? Characterizing people and insulting them because of their race or their ethnicity or their sexuality or their gender or their age or anything else, their ability or disability, any of those things, and insulting them, putting them into the category of other, the people who don't matter, the people who we can put down and insult, murder. Right? Insulting the people who have different political views than us, murder. Engaging in genuine dialogue about political matters, good, yay, go for it. Just putting people down because they're liberal or because they're conservative or because they're <clears throat> whatever. It's murder. And we're, we're good at it these days. It's all over the place. We're murdering people all the time. And that doesn't make it small. 
That doesn't mean it's not one of these things where familiarity breeds contempt or it can't be. You and I have to realize the depth of our guilt. Because it is only by realizing the depth of our guilt and shame that we can repent. Because it's not the way God wants us to live. Remind me, what's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. But that's not the only one. I love the way Matthew does this, right? Because Matthew says that Jesus says, um, and the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus goes and he does grammatically terrible things. And he says, there is no commandment greater than these. There's two commandments, but they're one commandment. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And then what else does Jesus do? Jesus talks about who's your neighbor because somebody asks him, who's your neighbor? And, and Jesus talks to him and tells him the parable of the Good Samaritan and says, okay, this guy who's really your enemy the Samaritan, he's the best neighbor there is, right? And, and the person who asked the question in the first place is so ashamed of the reality that this Samaritan behaved better than the religious leaders and the good Jewish people and stuff like this that he can't even say it. He doesn't say the Samaritan is the best, best neighbor. No, no, he says the one who helped him. Right? You can't even say it. But yet, that's our neighbor. Who's our neighbor? Our enemies. Our neighbor neighbors. The people who are nearby. The people who are far away. The people who are old. The people who are young. The people who are gay. The people who are straight. The people who are trans. The people who are black. The people who are white. The people who are whatever. Any label you can put on. They're our neighbors. And we've broken that greatest commandment. Part of me feels almost like in some ways we should stop there, meditate on that for a week, and come back and talk about the grace. Not because the grace is not relevant or applicable right now to you and I, but because the depth of our guilt and shame is so great that it takes time to unpack. It takes time to understand just what we have done in our hearts, in our minds, with our mouths, Maybe even with our hands, it takes time. But thankfully, seminary taught me that I can't end the sermon that way. So we're not going to end a sermon that way. You see, there's profoundly good news too. 
Because Jesus, of course, He didn't just come into this world as, as God's Son and then we betrayed Him and we murdered Him and now we're guilty and that's the end. No, no, no. He also came very much as Hebrews says, as that passage that, that Cole was reading says, He came to be our sacrifice. He came to make things right, all things right. He came to make up the difference in the gap between what I can do, what I do do, and and what I should do. And so Jesus comes and he, he, we murder him, yes, but he willingly sacrifices himself, perfect sacrifice for us. Willingly showing demonstrating what it really means to be human, to love God, love your neighbor, willingly showing us how much God loves us, so much that God would send His only Son to die for us. And then going through with the deed of dying for us. So what do we do with that? Do we walk around all the time with a burden of guilt weighing us down? Uh, Yeah, thank you, Jesus, for sacrificing for, for, for my sins, but I know I'm a pathetic, terrible wretch anyways. I used to kind of think that. I used to kind of think that that if I if I really worked hard enough to keep all of God's commandments, if I struggled hard enough, then God might possibly look on me and say, well, I guess, I guess, you know, Jesus died for you and all, so I'm not thrilled about it, but that's what I thought, right? And, and, And then, you know, you, you, you grow and you, you start to think, okay, well, um, you know, God loves us. Okay, good. So not only does God accept us because of Jesus Christ, uh, but also He loves us. But then I still was stuck with, well, okay, I, I'm still a pathetic wretch and God loves me, but, but He kind of loves me because He has to, right? He's God. He's, he's made of love, right? So he, he has to love me. But then, but then you go along and you start to learn, hopefully, that not only does God love you, but he does so freely and willingly and of his own accord. And not only does he love you, but he likes you. <laughs> he actually likes you. Ava's heard this sermon before. <laughs> Good. Right? God likes you. God looks at you and says, you know... You know, that John Bierman, he's a pretty neat guy. I made him. He's cool. Right? Right? He looks at you and he says, you're amazing. And, and, and he adopts us into his family. And so something is transformed. Something is transformed. Jesus has become our high priest 
who died for us, who was sacrificed for us, who rose again, conquering sin and death. And His love for us is so great that He forgives everything we have ever done. Because the Bible also says that all of our sins are sins really ultimately against God. And, and so God forgives us for all those things. And so are you a wretch? No, not anymore. Not because you made things right, but because God made things right. And so now what does that do with the law? The law of not murdering, right? It transforms the law from, oh my goodness, I have totally broken this law. I'm a terrible, terrible wretch. I am horribly condemned and deserve it. It transforms that from, okay, yeah, but I was forgiven anyways. And and now I am free to be free from murderousness. I get to not be murderous. Ooh, isn't that cool? So guess what that means? That means that you and I, we get to stop insulting people for being of different races or ethnicities. We get to stop insulting people for being of different genders or sexualities. We get to stop insulting people for having different political views. We get to stop belittling people because they're women or because they're men or because they're trans. Or We get to, we get to stop doing all of those things, even in our hearts. How awesome is it? Do you know these people? These people are, are maybe rare, but they're beautiful. They're wonderful, wonderful people. These people that you meet and you know that they love you right away. Right? They're just... And, and you might, at first, you might think, hmm, is that guy being like just a faker? Right? Are they just putting on a face? But then you get to know them a little bit more and you know that they just, they just love you. We had a, <laughs> Gwyneth had a, a fellow that she had to, um, she got to, she got to mentor this fellow for a teaching uh, assignment thing. He was learning how to be teacher, right? Uh, Brian, anyways. And <laughs> she was like, he was such a great guy. And he just loved the students like right from the get-go. And it was all over him. You could see it. And, and he's just so wonderful. And she's like, okay, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> you got to stop that, right? That is, <laughs> that is not going to work, right? You got to lay down some discipline and be clear with the student. Gwyneth was a lot younger. Be gracious with her, <laughs> right? And, and you can't be all nicey-nicey. You can't be all lovey-love, Right? The students will just walk all over you. But they didn't. It was like magic. Right? Brian would teach these students and he was nicey-nice and he loved these students. And those students, man, they knew it. They knew that he loved them. And they ate it up. And they did not walk all over him. He, like... I'm sure this is not entirely true, but it felt like classroom discipline was a breeze for him because, because he loved his students so clearly and so evidently and so much without restrictions or, or, or strings attached, and, and they loved him back. It was awesome. Can you imagine being one of those people That even your enemies, they can see 
that you love them. Right? Can you imagine the freedom within your soul? Not to hold grudges or anger or bitterness for various people who supposedly have done you wrong or maybe who really have done you wrong. You don't even have to be, you don't even have to be angry at them. That's like a taste of heaven. Funnily enough, it actually really literally is a taste of heaven. This is what Jesus transforms the law into. So, brothers and sisters, over the course of this week, I have some homework for you some homework for you and that is to to actually spend some time in your interactions your real life interactions whether they're whether they're on social media or in person or as you're talking with other people have a little radar going out the back of your head or something that is paying attention to whether you are freely loving the people around you, including yourself. Are you in that place where people know just by spending 30 seconds with you that you love them? Whether you've met them before, whether you've known them forever, whatever, have the radar out there. And and take some time. Please to do some repenting. Because I'm feeling pretty safe with saying that if you genuinely got your radar out there, you may realize just how often you're not in that love everybody space. Recognize it. Know that it is murder. And repent. But don't leave it there. Don't just say, I'm sorry, because of course we know that repentance is more than just saying you're sorry. Repent, turn around, and go the other way. Love the people. Love the people who are different than you. Love the people who are the same as you. Love the people who are older, younger, whatever. Right? Love the people who are far away. Love the people in this country who have different religions. Love the people who are in this country that, that you've heard things about that you think they're ruining your lives. Love them. Love them in the way that they would know if they saw you within 30 seconds that you love them. But don't do it because you're guilted into it. Do it because this is what God has done for you. And this is what you get to do. This is what you get to be free from, this murderousness. Taste heaven 
now. Be free from murderousness. Brothers and sisters, if we do that, if we do that, I guarantee it will free you in so many ways. Love and like (laughs) as exuberantly as God loves you, if you can. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we look around us and we see your image bearers, but we confess, O God, that we do not always think of each other in those terms. We sometimes think of each other as enemies, opponents, those who would do us ill if they could. And sometimes we just have all kinds of baggage from perhaps our parents or our neighbors or the society around us that tells us that we should not love these people for this reason or that reason or the other. But Lord, You share in Your Word and You share through Your example, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, Your Son. You share with us what it means to really, truly be free of murderousness. And not only do you show it through the life of your Son, Jesus Christ, but then you also enable us to live that life through Jesus' sacrifice and through the power of the Holy Spirit working within us. May we, O God, be more free of murderousness today than we were yesterday. May we be more free still tomorrow. And Lord, may we walk through this life so that by the end of this life, people and hopefully far before that, people look at us and say, oh my, you can see the love of Christ shining through Him to everyone around Him or her. Oh God, yes, please forgive us for those ways in which we have hurt or belittled or worked against the good of our neighbors. But please also transform us by the renewing of our minds through the Spirit of Christ working within us. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.